Welcome to episode 31 of the Empowering Ability Podcast. Welcome to the Empowering Ability Podcast, where we get you and your loved ones impacted by disability the information needed to live a full and meaningful life. Now here's your host, Eric Gall. Hey friends, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Our guest is Jessica or Jess Cave from the organization Bridges to Belonging. And Jess is the creative housing coordinator at Bridges to Belonging. And we have a great chat today about housing for people with disabilities as part six of six of the mini series on housing uh, on the podcast. So it'll be our final episode, uh, really just focusing and diving in on housing. In this episode in particular, we discuss the process that Jess uses with uh, the people that she helps. To, to create a home and, and to find housing. Um, we talk about some different options to consider. We discuss innovative housing ideas that uh, that you might not have heard of that you know you could consider for for you and your loved ones. And we also talk about overcoming barriers to housing. So the common barriers that we're hearing and, and how to think about those differently and, uh, and reframe them. So uh, great podcast coming your way today. I hope you enjoy it. Here's Jess. Hey, Jessica. Welcome to the Empowering Ability Podcast. How are you doing today? Good, Eric. How are you? I'm excellent. Thanks for joining us. I'm excited to have you on. And so Jessica is the Creative Housing Coordinator at Bridges to Belonging, and she specifically works uh, on the Be at Home Creative Housing Supports. So Jessica, would you be able to tell us just a little bit more about kind of what you do and the organization that you're working with? Yes, sure. So I work with Bridges to Belonging as a creative housing coordinator, uh, supporting people with uh, developmental disabilities and their families who are looking to make the next move in their life, whether it be kind of living on their own or with someone in a shared living space. Um, I can help them implement a plan to find a living situation that, that works well for them. Awesome. And I'm super pumped to have you on the podcast because you've let me know that you've been listening to the mini series on housing. So you've listened to the first five episodes and you have been deeply immersed in this work of helping people um, with developmental disabilities to find housing over the last year. So it's, I, it's like you're you're batting fourth in, in, in the lineup of our baseball team and, and you're the DH. So we've got the big heavy hitter at, at the plate here. So excited to wrap up the mini series here with you. And I guess maybe Jessica, what would be helpful, I think, for our listeners is if you could share the approach that you take to helping people with disabilities to think about housing, to find housing, just if you could at a high level share your approach. Yeah, sure. So at Bridges to Belonging is an independent facilitate part of the independent facilitation network and independent facilitators help to guide process of planning for individuals with a disability through a person directed approach. So I help families in that sense, just in supporting their desire to live on their own and explore moving into a home of their own, finding out what kind of supports they're looking for. Example, uh, the timeline in which they maybe see themselves living in their own place. Um, If they've maybe tested out living on their own, um, the preferred age or gender of a roommate that they may want to have, what's their budget, 
um, what supports they might need if they're paid or unpaid supports. So trying to kind of get uh, the bigger picture of what it is that they're looking for and how I can support them through that process. Mm -hmm. So you'll go and meet with a family one-on-one and sit down with them and like start to flush out these things. Exactly. Yeah. And then we'll create a plan together to transition into housing to see what that could look like and, and help to reach that goal. Okay. So you said transition into housing. So do you start with something else? Like it's not a one size fits all. So that, so an individual may want to transition gradually into a place of their own. If they've never lived anywhere on their own before, aside from their parents' home, they may want to test it out first and not just move right in. Uh, So they, the transition may take, you know, a few days, a few weeks, a few months before they're actually living in that that space on their own. Okay. So Jess, what are the types of uh, homes or different types of options that you would help uh, a person or a family consider? Uh, Sure. And I'm touching on some of the the different options for people who might be thinking about or looking to live on their own that, you know, um, like renting an apartment or buying a house and maybe renting out some of the units to to other individuals. Um, you could add on to your home like a, as a secondary suite that parents could then, when they pass on, that individual could then um, live in that house and rent it out to other to other people and not have to leave their home. Um, you know, there's lots of ways to think about how we can create living spaces for people that are affordable and and you know contribute to that individual's overall well-being right and i i think it's kind of implied but for each individual's unique characteristics and situation and resources um they will have they're going to have a, a different solution that's right from them compared to somebody else, right? So it's it's important to think through all of those different options and piece that puzzle together. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And Jess, I was looking at the annual report for um, Bridges to Belonging, and it has some cool a cool overview of what you're working on, the Be at Home Creative Housing Supports. And Cameron, uh, your executive director, had a really, I thought, thoughtful stance on when thinking about housing. And I think it's very appropriate for us to talk about. So he talked about starting with a, a different assumption to to housing. So a lot of families... I think the default is, oh, my my son or daughter or this person with a disability isn't ready to go live on their own or, you know, the resources don't currently exist, whether that's financial or or other. And uh, Cameron talked about starting with the assumption that people can live in community and people do have the, uh, the capability to do it. Um, so that, that seemed like a, a vastly different mindset to start with, um, compared to, you know, my son or daughter is not ready and 
the financial resources aren't there. Can you talk to that a little bit? Yes, um, absolutely. Uh, I think it's a great approach to take because then we can just assume people can live on their own and let's find the ways to support that and put in maybe some of those missing pieces that can create a space for somebody to have that independence. Um, Rather than looking at maybe all the barriers and challenges that exist, taking a stance on how to spin that in a positive light so that people can attain that desire of, of living in community. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so that's, that's the starting place. So carrying that mindset of this individual has a capability and the, there's an abundant community with plenty of resources um, available. So from there, once, you know, a family is in that mindset, are you working on creating a vision or is there several questions that you're facilitating them through? Uh, Yes, all of that actually starting with what's existing already in that family's network of supports um, and and building from that. So what friends and family or community connections do they already have and how can we use that to our advantage um, to build those supports around an individual to live independently? If they don't exist or we need to build on it more, um, how can we do that and where can we tap into those those resources to enhance um, maybe what's already there and build those social connections. Okay. And that's something that's come up in uh, commonly, like a common thread that I see through all the podcasts that I've done on housing is really making the community connections and having that community involvement. Is there any approaches that you have found that have been effective in making community connections? A lot of it has stemmed from independent facilitators have done a lot of that groundwork for many of the families who are connected to a facilitator and have established a lot of those um, community connections for with with them and have been able to build um, you know whatever desires they might have to um, build relationships or find work or explore any kind of hobbies and interests. And, and they really have those connections, um, well established for those who may not have that, that support piece in place is really kind of tapping into family and friends and, and it's an extension of, of where the community can support that. Okay. So it sounds like that facilitator is playing a pretty instrumental role in, kind of doing some pre-work or maybe, you know, um, leveraging the connections that they already have uh, to help connect that individual with what they're looking for in the community. And then, like you're saying, leveraging your existing network to to help you find those community resources. So, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, Jess, in your time doing this work directly with families over the last year, um, I'm curious to learn about your kind of successes that have uh, evolved out of it and failures or maybe just things that you didn't work or you learned. So maybe let's start on the failure side of things or or the things that you tried and didn't work and learn from. Um, is there anything that stands out there? Uh, sure. And I, um, the, I think the biggest or most pressing challenge or barriers uh, is affordability. 
Um, the cost of living in affordable housing, as we know, is is very high, and there are long wait lists for any subsidized housing in the region. Um, and paid supports are also quite costly. So it really, the challenges will kind of always exist so long as housing continues to be um, not as affordable for individuals. So um, creatively trying to come up with ideas around ways to reduce somehow the costs for individuals and that it's where roommates tend to be um, the best way to approach that. Uh, and as a success, um, one of the individuals that I've worked with in the early stages did find a roommate and has managed um, for several months now to um, to be living in her own apartment uh, with another individual and sharing those costs to help with the, the financial piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. And there's a lot of conversation around exactly what you're talking about. So um, housing is expensive. People are on a fixed income, often supported by, you know, in Ontario anyways, many would consider minimal um, support funding. So when thinking about roommates, there, I think there's this conversation going on around, you know, is it a roommate that has a disability and you share support and it helps to bring that cost down? Or is it a roommate that might not have a disability or a visible disability? Can you talk to that a little bit? Yeah, sure. So in this case, um, the roommate is someone without a visible disability. And, and, and I mean, either or either scenario could work um, depending on what the individual's preference is because sharing those supports is also another way to cut on some of those costs, but the supports could look different for for everybody as well. So it's a matter of how they want to share that. So finding somebody, yeah, just as a roommate, and then maybe those supports uh, exist with somebody else coming in to provide that. But the roommate essentially helps to cut down on the the, the rental costs because, as we know, most people are on a fixed income, and and rent costs are very high. So living expenses, you know, doesn't leave you with much at the end of the day. So that can certainly help with individuals who want to live on their own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think there's this whole other argument around grouping people with disabilities together, right? Like not having many institutions. And um, once you start grouping people with disabilities together, then they're not looked at for uh, being an individual. They're looked at for their disability. So there's that whole other argument, which we won't get into today, but um, that comes up and, and then you start butting against costs and things like that. So um, it's definitely not easy for families. No, um, certainly not. Yeah. So Jess, can you talk to, um, I guess, how the work you're doing has gone so far, maybe the lives that you've touched and, you know, the people that have found their own homes. And, and I don't know if you can touch on the stories of any of those people, but just can you, you give it an overview of kind of how it's gone and any outcomes so far? Yeah, sure. So up until now, um, seven, seven and individuals have found housing. That's three individual people and two uh, sets of couples, I guess, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, And a few people just recently, like 
this past month um, found housing. Um, one individual, he's moved in with um, a group of friends. And I just met with him yesterday and he's super excited and happy to be on his own. Um, he, you know, transitioned in right away. It was something he'd been wanting to do for quite a while now. So um, that's really great to see, you know, um, people successfully uh, living on their own. In all, I have about 12 individual housing plans that I'm managing. And, and again, I'm uh, on a part-time basis, so it's it's quite a lot um, juggling around. Um, and 12 people on hold, whether that's someone who's just not quite ready to have the housing conversation just yet, or there's been life events and circumstances that have delayed things, um, or just, you know, individuals kind of waiting uh to get some housing supports, um, you know, once I've been able to get other individuals in housing, that kind of frees up a little bit, a little bit of space. I do still continue to meet with individuals on a pretty regular basis, even though they've moved in on their own, there's still a lot of support required. Um, again, that's on a um, individual basis. Um, some require a lot of support with their budgeting or just figuring out how to budget now that they've been given, you know, a chunk of money to work with on a monthly basis. How are they going to, you know, use it all for to meet their needs and have enough at the end of the month to still pay their bills, right? So that's kind of where things are at right now. Yeah, no, it's great. There's, it's awesome that you've helped seven people to to find their their own home. That's incredible. And some of the insights that that I think you shared there was once you start planning, it's okay to take a break and let it sit for a bit if that's the right course of action for you and and your family, right? Whether there's a situation that comes up or you're just not ready or, or whatever that is, but to to work at the timeline that um, that makes the most sense and not to force it. So that was something that really stood out to me. And, and the other thing is once you have created your home and, and you've moved in, there's probably some things that are going to come up that um, you're not too sure what to do or, you know, there are new experiences and there might be some support needed to to work through those. So I think those are really important things that uh, that you've shared. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, my pleasure. So, Jess, is there any resources that families can access to start to do this thinking that um, you've come across that are good or you've developed yourself? Sure. So some of the initial resources that I've put together for families to go through is just to create a bit of a profile or like a bio of who they are, what some of their interests are. And, and if looking for a roommate, it helps to kind of match it up with somebody with similar interests. Um, the, the region has a great toolkit on their website, the Working Center, Lutherwood, like lots of local um, community agencies have great resources. And, and then there's several sort of um, options for people who want to test out living on their own in the region and trying it on for size in Elmira, through Elmira Community Living. Uh, there's uh, a testing the waters which is an opportunity to stay uh, in an apartment with uh, full amenities for however many nights you want with whatever supports you may need to bring a roommate or by yourself. 
and Cambridge has a version of trying it on for size called Stepping Out, which is also um, a way to test out living on your own. And there's an assessment that's provided to see what skills may need to be developed to achieve goals of independent living. Awesome. Yeah. So that's really the first time I've heard of kind of that intermediary step where you can test it out. Um, have you been involved with families that have, you know, uh, tested it out? Um, so for, you know, a weekend or a week and, and what are some of the experiences you might be able to share from that? Sure. Yeah. So I've, I've met with families who've, ex- who've experienced all of those varieties, at least one of the varieties, I should say, um, try it on for size. Uh, you have to be referred through the DSO for that, and there might be a bit of a wait list to get in. Um, and that gives a real clear assessment of uh, what skills may need to build or strengths and areas for more support. And you can bring a roommate in as well. And that really helps people determine whether Maybe they see themselves living on their own or maybe just not ready yet. And and for those who've tried testing the waters, um, has been there's been great uh, feedback from that as well, who've tried it several times with different people, just kind of getting a sense of what it's like living on their own and and what other supports that they might need along with that. And it's a great starting point then for uh the creative housing support piece to then see, okay, has this been tried yet or not? And what are the areas that um, of supports that still need to be um, provided that we can move forward along with that transition? Right. So it sounds like as you're doing, you know, some planning around what a home, creating that home looks like, you can kind of test it out. So you can say, yeah, I think this is going to work. Let's put this support in place. And this is the, you know, um, physical environment that the individual needs and then actually put them in that situation for a short period of time, allowing them to experience it. And then, you know, you can iterate based off that uh, moving forward. Exactly. Yeah. Well, it makes a lot of sense. That's cool. Um, also, I forgot to mention, I will link to um, a lot of the resources that Jess has already mentioned in the show notes of the podcast and in the blog. So the other thing that I wanted to chat about, um, it's just a few things, but kind of barriers, barriers for for people with disabilities to go and um, have a home of their own. And one of the big barriers that I see is um, the family or specifically parents letting go. Can you talk to that? Yeah, sure. So, um, that can be a definite barrier for, for many individuals, um, who just, who may not have known enough of other stories of people who have had that experience of living on their own and, and it can be, um, a big change for everybody and that letting go piece, um, is on both sides, I think, for the individual and the family members uh, to be able to to try it out. And that's where those tried on for size or testing the waters is kind of that stepping stone in a sense to maybe help families with that process of letting go. Um, and, and I must say for the families I've been working with, um, there's been more um, – families willing to let go or very ready to let go, let's say. And 
and and the individuals are as well. They're they're at a place where they're just really ready to to live on their own and and move forward. Mm. Yeah, and I, that's I mean, I don't want to treat this topic lightly because for a lot of families um, or parents that are in that caregiving role that's a part of their identity right that's a part of that gives for a lot of people gives them meaning for their life and and what they do and that's a big change um is there any as a facilitator is there any um i guess questions or things you would encourage parents to think about when going through that shift and letting go sure yeah i know um i mean i certainly can't speak for parents but for that for that letting go piece, uh, it may also just free up some of the the time that you could, you know, spend a lot of quality time with your son or daughter that may have been a big part of your identity as a caregiver can now be spent, you know, um, having family time to do other things that now a support person or a roommate may um, take on some of that that other additional caregiving piece. And so it could free up some of that time to, to spend quality time as a family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. No, that's a fantastic point, right? Because when, so my sister's for, if you're new to the podcast uh, listeners, my sister, Sarah has a developmental disability and my mom is really that primary caregiver and provides most of the support for my sister and, um, or a lot of it. And one of the things that, I had a conversation around with my mom because I, I had, I was having a conversation with another parent and it really resonated with me was, so this parent told me that I'm a caregiver and all I've ever wanted to be is a parent just because their role with their son or daughter has really just been focused on caregiving and it hasn't allowed them to be a parent. So, um, I think like you're saying, Jess, that gives parents an opportunity to be parents. Yes. And it certainly wouldn't just be um, something that would be cut off, you know, once someone moves out on their own. I think that takes time to for even that individual to say, you know, they might still come home for Sunday dinners or or want to do their laundry at home still. And they'll still rely on mom and dad for a lot of things. Um, Mm -hmm. It's not completely cutting those ties. Right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And the other barrier that I hear frequently is around safety. Like it's not safe for my son or daughter to live on their own or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. For you, can you talk to that a little bit when when that comes up with families and what you help families think about in terms of safety? Sure. Yeah. Um, there is a, a safety plan, kind of a safety checklist conversation that needs to happen and ensure that um, that that is covered in 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 the conversations and in the transition into housing. And I'm sure there'll, there'll be things that are missed and that we learn as we go that we discover, but we certainly want to cover all those bases when we do um, have, you know, someone living on their own and make sure that, that everything that they're safe. Um, and there are places and spaces where you they can acquire some additional um, skills and training around safety for independent living, um, you know, that can help through that process as well. So on the, the safety checklist, can you give us an example of like a couple of things that um, you might recommend for people to think about? Like, can you give us some examples? Yeah. So just ensuring, you know, 
identifying what what is an emergency what does it look like how would you handle um if there was a fire would you know what to do maybe even practice fire drill um safety just around cooking on the stove uh or or using you know equipment maybe they don't need to use the stove they prefer using a, a microwave oven or other elements that that won't cause any concern for safety. Um, you know, there's lots of apps and tools to do reminders around medications that might need to be taken. Um, you know, things like that, that might just help uh, alleviate some of the, the stress around safety. Right. So it's like almost doing a risk assessment around it. So by talking about it and thinking, thinking things through, um, and reducing risks where you can and having a plan in place for emergencies that, that do happen. Exactly. And even having someone to check in and check up on those things, you know, you know, sending a text message or phone call or having a neighbor come by just to check in. Um, and that also is what community building is about anyway, is we all look out for each other and support each other. Right. So that community building supports creating that safe environment for an individual. Right. Are there any, I guess maybe we already talked about a couple of these things, but are there any other innovative housing ideas or solutions that, that you're seeing out there? I mean, we talked about, you know, the idea of kind of testing, testing the waters, um, and a couple other programs you mentioned, but, um, anything else innovative or creative that you're seeing going on? Uh, yeah, actually, another um, innovative approach is co-op housing, and a young couple has moved in on their own now for about the last six months and uh, found a space in a, in a co-op in downtown Kitchener. And co-ops are also a really great space to build community. Um, there's a lot of a culture kind of within a, a, a co-op and it kind of different from um, other living situations or apartment buildings. And I think it's a great space for, for someone to start off their living situation in that kind of setting. And, and along with that co-op housing um, is uh, eco villages or like a, a co-housing, which is another area that I'm involved in as well around intentional community building and creating a space where individuals um, want to live in community in a sustainable way. And that is also a project that's starting within Waterloo Region just in the beginning stages. Okay. And is that like a a new construction project, the eco-village? Is that something that already exists? Um, In Waterloo Region, it's something it's a new project. Um, there are eco villages um, spread out all over uh, North America and around the world, but in Canada in particular, um, there are a handful of them around in Ontario, but in Waterloo region, this is the first of its kind. Mm, okay. So with those two ideas, the co-op and the eco village, it's there's from the way that you talked about it, it sounds like there's intentionality around community building that is already going on that people can join in on. And that culture already exists and that environment already exists rather than trying to create it. Yes, yes, for sure. 
and there's ways and um, to find you know your your identity within that culture and, and a co-op is a great place to sort of contribute in some way um, to make your co-op your own like it, it, you know you contribute to um, the community space in some way there you know gardening or you know having group potlucks or games nights and things like that to to make it like an active an active community yeah no I love that and specifically with the co-ops that you're referring to Jess are they they're just co-ops kind of for anybody or is are they trying to to cater to a specific section or um yeah section of the population uh so anybody can can apply to to be at a co-op a lot of the co-ops though are through the region's uh, community housing list so um that's through the subsidy uh there are a few co-ops where you can um, apply to directly, just anybody can apply to be a co-op member, but there is an interview and application process for that to see whether um, it's a good fit for you. Okay. So uh, the way that I'm envisioning it, there'd be some diversity to the population of these co-ops or eco-villages. Yes, there is. Absolutely. Yeah. Right on. Awesome. So, um, Jess, is there somewhere that folks can go to to learn more about the project or to learn more about, you know, some of the resources that you've mentioned so far? Yeah, sure. So on our website at um, bridgestobelonging.ca, you'll find a link to the creative housing supports there. We're on Facebook as well. So Bridges to Belonging, we're on Twitter and you can message us there and I can connect with you through those social media sites. Okay, perfect. So I'll share links to those in the show notes and in the blog. So people can uh, connect to those resources and connect to Jess. So Jess, it's uh, it was a pleasure having you on the podcast and talking about the work that you do, uh, the amazing work that you do and sharing some ideas that um, are uh, innovative and also sharing, sharing what you've learned and the successes that you've had so far. So thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you so much, Eric, for having me. My gratitude goes out to Jess Cave for joining us on the podcast today, sharing the work that she does, the successes and failures that she's had um, in her role as a housing supports coordinator at Bridges to Belonging. And I hope you've really enjoyed the mini series on housing on the Empowering Ability podcast. Uh, we've had some awesome guests such as Mark McLean talking about creating your own home, creating community with the Diohago Support Network, uh, Linda Daw, and some other great folks there, Janet Cleese, um, how talking about supports and home and how those two things are different with Chris Woodhead out of the United Kingdom, um, and talking about new creative housing ideas. So with Ron uh, Prusen and today with Jess Cave and just lots of great insights. So I'm going to be working on pulling together some more housing resources for you. And I'd love your feedback on what would be helpful for you um, in terms of a housing resource. So please head on over to empoweringability.org and send me a note. Let me know what would be helpful for you. And that'll help me in crafting that resource. And again, anybody that does that, super appreciative of your feedback, and I will reply. 
I'd like to thank all of our listeners that have left us a review on iTunes. Your reviews help me understand what I'm doing well, what I can improve on on the podcast, what you want to hear. So it's great feedback that you're providing. So please continue to do so. Also, by leaving a five-star review, it helps other people find the podcast. So thanks so much for those reviews and keep them coming. Next week on the podcast, we start our next mini-series, seeing we've wrapped up the mini-series on housing. And the next mini-series that we're going to roll into is on siblings. So we're going to be interviewing and chatting with siblings that have uh, another sibling, a brother or a sister with a disability. And our first guest on the mini-series on siblings is Melissa Jansen. And Melissa uh, has a brother with a disability. And Melissa is originally from Israel, but now lives in New Zealand. And Melissa and I talk about the role that we can play as siblings. And specifically, we focus in on how we can play a supporting or influencing role on personal growth, including career growth, friendships and inclusion, and even romantic relationships. And uh, Melissa and I had a lot of fun recording this podcast. So I think you're really going to enjoy it. And if you want, if the sibling topic is one that you're interested in, uh, you can check out an earlier episode where Helen and Helen Reese and uh, I have a a great chat on the experience of of being a sibling and and Helen shares her story and there's some great messages and content about uh, the sibling role and sibling relationships in that podcast as well that you can enjoy. So thanks for joining today and looking forward to having you back next week. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Visit us at empoweringability.org for more podcasts and resources to help you and your loved ones impacted by disability build a full and meaningful life.